0: and the world of your dreams. My guest on today's episode of Mike's Search for Meaning is Sam Lamott. Sam is an artist, writer, creator, and single father living in the Bay Area in California. He is a college dropout and ex-meth head who came out of a 10-year bender at the age of 22 with severe clinical depression, a two-year-old son, and zero life skills. Simply put, there is nobody more genuinely curious about how to be a human being. He's now the founder of Hello Humans, a platform for storytellers who capture the truth of what it means to be human. His site is chock full of stories from regular folks like you and me who share their experiences dealing with the trials and tribulations of real life. Life isn't typically what we show the world on social media, it's often a lot messier than that. His podcast, How to Human, is featured in iTunes New and Noteworthy 2018. It is featured in Apple Top 200 Podcasts in Health 2018, and it is featured in Apple Top 200 Podcasts in Self-Help 2018. It continues to be an overwhelming and resounding success. It's one of the podcasts I most look up to. And additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice with each episode. This episode, the organization is Human Made. Any and all donations make a difference. The link is in the show notes. Please join me in donating. And in this conversation with Sam, we talk a little bit about his recovery journey and his journey to sobriety, but we mostly focus on the skills that he has built on how to human today and how that has led to him creating a very popular podcast that I really look up to and admire. I experienced Sam to bring a deep humility to his work and a deep commitment to the work. We talk a little bit about the power of community and community is really what keeps his show going. There are no corporate sponsors. There's no advertisements. It will always be a crowdsourced Patreon supported podcast. And it's truly a labor of love. Sam seems to dedicate his entire life to this project and It really shines through in his work and in this conversation. You can see that Sam has a commitment to art for art's sake. And that is what he most prioritizes in his life. It trickles into all of his conversations and he is a true student of life. I so admire him. It was such an honor and a privilege to have him on my show. So with all that said, settle in, take a deep breath And enjoy what Sam has for us today. Sam, welcome to Mike's search for meaning, my friend.
1: Thank you, Mike. Happy to play a small part on your search for meaning.
0: Yeah, I so appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on. And like you, I start every interview with the same question. I don't ask, who are you? I ask, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up?
1: Oh, well, we didn't have a dinner table, my mom and I. Uh, I'm an only child to a single mom. And um, we had, my mom wasn't really a cook. So we didn't have meals so much as we had like snack platters. Mm-hmm. You know, we had lots of snack foods and stuff on a plate that kind of became a dinner meal. But, but we just ate at a coffee table.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one of the things I'm after in the question is, what were you what were you like as a child? What did you yearn for? Who did you want to be?
1: Yeah, I was a very strange child, and you know, I think that strange child has grown into a somehow stranger man, but you know, I was very shy and sensitive and concerned, worried, nervous. I was really smart. And I could conceptualize adult problems as a young kid, which was troubling to me. You know, when I saw something, you know, some geopolitical thing on the news, I understood the consequences of those things. I was incredibly concerned with mortality and death at a young age. And that made for some uncomfortable moments with adults. You know, the last thing adults want to do is argue with a nine year old about. What happens after death because obviously nobody knows and i was not satisfied with with most of the answers i got and um very high strung you know i would uh i would walk into a room and you know almost simulate what i thought everybody was think- thinking all at once mm-hmm. you know so crowded rooms that i went into were noisy even if they weren't noisy if you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh yeah very very shy very worried very nervous very Mm self-conscious
0: yeah i've heard you describe yourself as a child before and i kind of just wanted to hear you articulate it on my podcast but it, it really resonates with me man especially i don't think i've been in touch with the the child in me who when i was five was always thinking about death also and just how viscerally I didn't have the language for it, of course, at the time. But somatically, when I envisioned dying, it was such an overwhelming sensation (laughs) in my body. It just I couldn't I would have to wake my parents up sometimes and say, I can't sleep. I just the fear of death is so big for me. And when 9-11 happened, I was I think I'm about the same age as you. I was 10 years old. And. It really made me confront like i I can't believe how much angst I have about dying, and I always felt very weird and sensitive and different when I was growing up too, and i I didn't know what to do with that energy. I just I thought something was wrong with me, and in terms of the man I wanted to become i I had no idea, so I'm curious. Did you have a certain vision for who you wanted to be as you became of age?
1: Yeah, I just want to touch on what, on what you said. So you're one of those people too, which is funny. Yeah, I didn't realize how uncommon, not uncommon, but how that wasn't just a given until I started talking about it. And then you realize there are people who just never really thought about death and never got that pit in your stomach when you realize that this, is, this party is going to come to an end. <laughs> and there's those of us that do. And whenever you connect with somebody that do, you can going go, Oh, my God. You remember that first time you realize and it's a big deal. I think it's still a big deal. You know, I think death, even though we don't talk about it, even though it's kind of back of mind, I think it really does lead to a lot of decision making and a lot of things that we do. So it's a, it's a topic I could talk on for hours. But the question is, did I have an idea of the man I was going to become? Not really. You know, I didn't have a dad, which meant I didn't have like a great role model. I didn't have a man I would ask all my questions to. I had a couple of great guys in my life. I had a not blood related older brother, just a guy who would pick me up every Wednesday, friend of my mom's. And he was kind of like an older brother to me. And I had my mom's brother, my uncle, who was like uh, the closest thing I had to a father. Mm -hmm. But it's not quite the same. So no, you know, it was kind of a trip. I had my head really far up my ass because I was very intelligent. So the tricky thing about being a smart kid is is you have a really capable brain, but you also don't know shit. And that's a dangerous combination (laughs) because you, you think you know more than you know. So and it's tough. You know, it's tough when you're meeting adults and you're smarter than a lot of the adults you meet. You tend to just think that you know well, I'm clearly I don't need to listen to adults at all. You know these people aren't as smart as me now, what I've since realized is like just raw computing power is not is not a good replacement for like the collective wisdom, mm-hmm. and the path that I ended up going on as a teenager is a path that millions and millions of people have done before me. but when I was doing it, it felt very original. you know, it felt like I was blazing a new trail for myself and, you know, living this wild experimental drug fueled life. Little did I know at the time that I wasn't so original that people had tried this many, many times before. And it, it generally ends up shit, you know, like, that, like there's some outliers that do okay. And then they become these eccentric weirdos that are great. But generally you start getting into a lot of mood altering substances in place of regular life and uh, doesn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. But to stay to the question that you asked, I didn't. I didn't have much of an idea. I thought, of course, I'm going to do well. Of course, you know, so talented and gifted. Uh, but I wasn't like oriented. I wasn't pointed in a direction. I just assumed, like, yeah, of course, it's all going to work out. Which, of course, it didn't until my life really came to a head. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I know that you've spoken to this many times before, but if if you could give a, a little more language to when it came to a head, what, what do you mean when you say that? And you did touch a little bit on that you, you started using substances and that was some sort of replacement for maybe a, a void in your life. But if you could speak a little bit to that.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a void in my life so much as like, you know, if for a shy, nervous, and worried kid, like the first time I drank and the voices stopped and the you know, I felt normal and I felt like I could hang out in a room full of people and maybe even enjoy myself. Well, that was a pretty powerful experience. So I wanted just more of that, possibly that, all the time. So I started drinking, I started smoking weed, you know, year, couple years go by, I'm into cocaine. Year goes by, I'm in ecstasy. You know, you sprinkle in uh mushrooms and acid in the mix there too, which I also loved, and uh, it ends up with me at 20 years old uh being a meth addict. You know, so it, it I'll spare you the 10 year spiral. It it ends up with me being a meth addict, getting in extreme legal, personal trouble, and uh, just completely fucking off my life. Mm-hmm. So. By the time i got sober it was basically you know it's like the last stop on the block it was like either you get sober or you go to prison or you kill yourself that was that was about where i was at i was one stop away from being homeless unemployed zero friends nobody wanted to be around me anymore i'd pushed them all away and so my prospects were not good sobriety was about the last thing i I could try
0: Mm mm-hmm well, I would love to talk, because uh, I know in some ways that was the impetus for your, your podcast, How to Human, and your company now, Hello Humans. You have said before that you, essentially when you became sober, you were looking at life ahead and you didn't have any life skills and you, you had to teach yourself from the ground up how to be alive. And I, I'd be curious to hear as you became sober and had to confront maybe these, these challenges that you weren't looking head on and making eye contact with before, how did you start to piece together a life that you were uh, fulfilled by, uh, happy to be alive? in the way that you are, I I get that from you now that you enjoy life is hard and it's full of ups and downs but you want to be on this planet and so how did you start to build that life wow i wish i could take
1: credit for any of it really i got plugged into a recovery group if you want to know which specific one you can email me and Mm -hmm. i'll tell you they've asked that we not name it by name and uh i got surrounded by a bunch of of amazing, older, sober men. And I got, you know, in some sense, I got initiated mm-hmm. into into manhood by other men, uh, other older, sober men that knew which bucket to piss in, unlike myself, and understood some very basic concepts like honesty and integrity and hard work and determination, you know, and like I got an opportunity to get really humble and you know, I got an opportunity to get really humble and to work humble jobs and to do a spectacular job and you know a couple of years of sobriety and start dreaming again i start you know reconnecting to that really smart creative kid that i was once before i drowned it out with drugs and alcohol and the rest is history really
0: mm-hmm. well i'd love to now get into your current work and especially your podcast because i what I named to you just before we hit record is there's one episode you did with Paul Williams and there's, there's so many things about that conversation, but personal development is a tricky landscape to be entering. It's, it's something I have a a tough time dancing with too. And in that episode, I just, I felt a realness between both of you to the, to the point where there were tears shed from both of you that is sorely missing in the world. That authenticity. And I would just love to hear, like, what do you think if you had to put yourself in your audience's shoes, what do you think makes your podcast stand out in the way that it does? Because I really, you've had a lot of guests on who made appearances on other shows and I've listened to them, but There's this unbridled joy that they get in your presence. And that reverberates to listeners like me. And I I would just be curious to hear, what do you, what do you think is your special sauce and what, what lights you up about your work?
1: Well, almost every single episode has been in person and we're coming around to the idea that maybe I can't afford to not do virtual interviews here and there, but I really You know, it it wasn't just about creating a finished product. I was really there for the experience from start to finish. And that's something I would encourage you and everyone else to, to practice is like, there's very little guarantees that if you start a podcast, it will be successful. And, you know, in some ways my podcast isn't successful, but, you know, in other ways it, it really is one, the experience I've gotten from it is tremendous. I, I have learned so much. my education has really been fortified by talking with some of these people who gave me their time, and some of my favorite conversations weren't actually well known people at all. This conversation I had with a musician I found at an airport who was mm-hmm. just playing you know she was like a Seattle guest musician playing in an airport lobby for people walking by, and I just sat down and really loved her sound and we swapped numbers and then the next time i came to seattle we were on the show together and it's just an incredible conversation between two working artists not two like successful artists talking about their you know speaking from the mountaintop but really speaking from the trenches that was a beautiful conversation but um to answer your question you know i don't think that we necessarily have a authenticity problem i think that we have very hard time sharing ourselves authentically with strangers, and I think we have a hard time sharing ourselves authentically online is probably the biggest problem, mm-hmm. but you know, to give you an idea i don't I don't like online much I don't get much from it i you know I have an instagram account I'm not really looking at other people's mm-hmm. it's It's not very interesting to me they're short form the people who produce a lot I feel like have almost become like a production machine. it's very rare for me to find um an Instagram account that I really like, and that isn't memes or something that's meant you know meant to be short form and silly. But when I get talking to somebody you know sitting down in a park bench and we start striking up a conversation, like I'm generally pretty good at getting the heart of it. Mm-hmm. I'm good at getting to know like, who are they? And you're right. I don't think many people bother to get to know each other, but that is really available to us in a way that isn't online is you, you could just start looking up from your phone and putting your phone in your pocket and you could ask the person who serves you coffee every other day at the coffee shop, like, Hey, I'm Sam. What's your name? What do you, what do you do besides coffee? And you could get to know that person, you'd be surprised with what happens. We are herd animals. We're mammals, we're not solo animals. And we're all pretending that we're living these nice nuclear lives. But deep down, I think we're craving a sense of community. Mm -hmm. That's why I moved to a small town. I left San Francisco, I moved to a small town. It's one of the greatest decisions I ever made. If you're living in a city, why? Why are you living in a city? It makes no sense unless you live in a you know a particular neighborhood that has some sense of community or, or closeness. But yeah, I would counter that a little bit to say that we don't have a vulnerability problem. We have a problem sharing it with strangers. So it appears that we have authenticity problem when really somebody just has to take the first step. Mm-hmm. And if you take the first step, and you say, hey, how are you doing today? And they give you that kind of water skeeter surface answer of like, oh, I'm good. They ask you how you're doing. You could, you could say, well, you know, I'm uh, worried and nervous. I have this thing coming up at work. And, you know, I know I shouldn't be worried, but I just am. And that could be the, the start of a real conversation. And you'd be amazed at where these conversations lead and what kind of friendships they lead to. I have a gal named Mariah who initially got in contact with me because she knew I was in recovery and she wanted help with cutting. She was a cutter. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I helped point her towards a program that would help her similar to the one I went to for drinking. But now we've just become friends. You know, we send voice chats to each other and there's this person on the other side of the country who, you know, just through voice memos, I hear these incredibly vulnerable kind of updates on her life and how's it going and you know how many years sober she we've been talking for years now how many years sober she has from uh cutting or years clean from cutting I don't know the language they use Mm -hmm. and uh you know how rewarding her work is these days and you know stuff like that and um we'll text every few nights and this is somebody I've never met face to face uh somebody who if I did meet face to face I probably wouldn't recognize because that's not how we know each other. We know each other through text message and voice memos. But when I get one of those voice memos at night, and this isn't the case for all voice memos, I actually dislike most of the voice memos I get. So don't think that's my love language. Don't send me voice memos <laughs> if you know unsolicited. But when I get Mariah's voice memos, it's generally like the kind of like crown jewel of the night. You know, it's like I really <laughs> look forward to it. It's silly and fun and vulnerable and real and the novelty of not knowing this person but knowing this person is also uh very fun for me so Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's a lot to be gained if if you're willing to be the person who takes the first leap
0: in a lot of ways that answers the the question in a very surprising way Uh, the way the meaning that i'm making of that is one of the reasons that your podcast is so good is your your genuine curiosity in any human being who is in front of you. And that always makes for a rich conversation. When someone really feels seen, someone who feels deserving of attention and some sort of curiosity, good good things are going to happen. That, that story about coming across a musician in the airport and then becoming, if not friends, someone that you'd want to have on your podcast, that translates energetically through the conversations that you have. And so uh, it wasn't necessarily a direct answer of why is my podcast popular, but I think that I, I'm getting a really good idea of just how curious you are about getting to know the people that you encounter. Community was something that was sprinkled in that answer i know that community is something that is really important to you and i would love to hear i think i have a couple of curiosities about community what are the communities that you're most lit up being a part of and what do you wish you saw more in other communities
1: one of my you know main communities is the the bay area sober community i have a lot of people there who i love but i also you know just have a beautiful network of friends and family who i love dearly and try to get each other to you know try to get them to love each other dearly and i'm a part of so many little pockets you know i i basically stop doing anything alone for the most part i mean there's some things that you have to do alone you have to wipe your ass alone but you know like i'm a part of a writers group that we call men, men with pens, you know, and that's probably not an original name, but that's just what we call the group, you know, a part of a sober group that I see at at least once a week, often three or four times a week. You know, I'm a part of, you know, group of parents who I will reach out to. So I started working with people, you know, I just decided like, I don't want to do this alone anymore. I want to work with somebody. And so I, I, reached out to one of my best friends, one of the most talented people I know. And I said, hey, do you want to be poor with me for five years and work on this project? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know if this will be a success. We're having a really amazing month, which is great for you know, a new business to, to have a big breakthrough month where, man, if we could do something like this every month, we'd be in great shape. But um, if worse comes to worse, when we're 80 years old and we talk about the five years we work together, that's probably going to be a badass memory. I mean, I can tell you right now, it's been one year. It's already a really incredible year. It's well-journaled. It's well-documented. I can't wait to look back on it when I'm 80 years old. So I don't think community is important to me. I think community is important to humans. And if you haven't figured that out yet, the only person who's at a loss is you. Mm
0: -hmm. I'd love to hear your... I get the sense that the vision for your company is huge. That you you want it to be something that's making a big change. And I would love to hear your vision for what is what's the podcast. What's your fiercest hope for it?
1: I don't know what my my hope for the podcast is. You know, I I actually uh, this might surprise you. I don't have a huge vision for it, and it, it doesn't need to be bigger than it is. You know, I think I started this podcast with the idea that I could trick interesting people into talking with me. My definition of who an interesting person is has changed a lot. The last five guests haven't been celebrities. Mm -hmm. You know, they've just been regular awesome people. I think I'm more and more drawn to regular awesome people. The more plumbers I meet and the more celebrities I meet, the more I'm impressed with the plumbers. Mm -hmm. You know? The less i'm impressed with public figures i think it's very hard to grow something and keep some of the basic virtues that just a regular humble blue-collar worker can maintain yeah i don't want to lose that so i'm constantly trying to pull reel it back in and remember that you know when somebody gets inspired listening to something i said it was probably not some brilliant original thing that I said. It was probably a something that was dormant in them, that was awoken by something that I said, and that the thing that I said was probably something I learned somewhere along the way. Anyway, so no, my my hope for the podcast is that you know, right now it still feels good. I've had many periods where I reevaluate and go, ah, oh, should I do something else? Should I finally take that job that would pay more? And I haven't yet. I'm still enjoying talking to people. I'm still enjoying the process, so I'm going to keep going. I would like to have uh, written a few things before I die. There's a few projects. They don't need to get published. You know, mm-hmm. Publishing is not the goal of them. I just want them to have gotten written. I guess there's a couple of things that I want to do here before I die. I would like to be financially comfortable while I'm here, but that is not the most important thing to me the most important thing to me is that I really honor my gifts and make the things I want to make. So, you know, the podcast is great. It also doesn't scratch a a basic itch that I guess I've been trying to make it scratch for a while. And so what I've been doing is I've actually been writing like talks and giving talks and I sneak them in, you know, like they're like the first 20 minutes of certain episodes, but I'm, you're, you're watching me learn the skill of not having a guest of just talking delivering it to a camera and and eventually I would like I would like to to give talks and I don't need to be a professional talker I guess (laughs) on one sense I am a professional (laughs) talker but I don't need that to be my living it's like a skill that I want to have learned while I'm here and it's a skill that I can learn just by doing which not all skills are like I would love to learn how to sing but I'm gonna have to make more money for singing lessons to to be able to do that so I don't I don't have some grand vision other than I would like to create some awesome things while I'm here. Uh, I think those things are getting created and the skills needed to create them are being learned. I would like to have amazing creative people around me. I'd like to employ creative people. I think that's happening. Mm-hmm. I think in the next couple of years, I'll have some brilliant artists here who will love their job and hopefully and yeah hopefully enjoy working for me and that we can collaborate i'm really enjoying the collaborative spirit i've been in you know i'm not doing many projects alone almost everything i'm doing has some kind of collaborator and yeah i i like where i'm at so i'm just going to keep going
0: yeah yeah i the question I'm going to ask is what has shifted most for you since you started the podcast. And I I'll say. As someone who started my podcasting journey about a year ago, I released the first episode I did in November of last year. I had an expectation. I, I did a workshop with uh, Seth Godin. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I had this expectation that by episode 30 or something, I, I had like Brene Brown, I want to have on, and I want to have Susan Cain. And what I have learned in my podcasting journey, among many other things, is that an interesting conversation is just an interesting conversation. It doesn't matter who the person is that you have it with. Uh, I've learned how to be a more clear communicator in my intimate relationships And I'd just be curious to hear maybe what surprised you about your journey and and what have you learned most or how have you most developed as a human from the journey?
1: That's funny. When I first started the podcast, I really felt like, man, I've been working on myself for whatever it was, seven years. I really feel like I have a lot to share and I can't wait to share it. And then within a year, my life had exploded and it was really me not sharing what I had learned, but really me desperate to learn more to get me through the chapters I was in, there's not a single area of my life that it hasn't touched. And it's not the, yeah, it's not the celebrities that I've interviewed. It's the, the wisdom that I've gained and more than the wisdom that I've gained, it's the wisdom I've been able to embody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you find out real quick when you go on a a learning journey that you can know a bunch of really cool stuff and not a lot of it matters if you don't do it. And I've gotten pretty good at doing the things. So like when we get off this podcast in 25 minutes, I will be working on the, the next video. I will be working on the next thing. It's like, it's, it's part of what I do every day. I put the time in, I woke up at five this morning. That's not the right time for everybody to wake up. It's the right time for me to wake up generally. I prayed, I meditated. I my son and I went to the gym. I had a nice protein shake. Probably have a healthy lunch. And three, when he gets off, I'm taking the rest of the day off so we can hang out and watch Cobra Kai. Nice. So what more so than than learning a bunch of stuff, I got good at doing the stuff I, I knew mm-hmm. through practice, through mentorship. You know, through learning and stumbling and and going, so yeah, I I love some of the skills that the podcast has taught me. I I too have become a much better communicator, become a better writer, but more so, I'm just glad that I got the opportunity to live a examined life and continue to grow, and that like who I am today is wildly evolved compared to who i was last year and that's you know to say you know it's one thing to say i've changed a lot over the last 10 years like i've changed a lot over the last year Mm -hmm. and that's pretty cool and i guess i had a lot of room to grow when i started you know i didn't start with many skills but it has been a joy to be more helpful to people around me to be a better friend Better boyfriend, better son, a better dad, and mostly just get to to give back in a richer way than I could have a couple years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really interested. While I'm not a father yet, you have a son, and he has been. It's if my math is correct, he's been alive basically for the duration of your sobriety, and. I would, yeah, I would love to hear what have you learned from being a father, especially as someone who didn't have being a man modeled very well for him? What, what's the type of man that you want to be for Jax and how have you learned from him?
1: I mean, being a, being a parent is such an amazing journey because you get an opportunity to also parent yourself. Like as you parent this child, there is absolutely the voice in your head where you go, Oh, I needed to hear that too. I needed that hug too. I needed that high five too. I needed that pressure too, you know, in certain areas. My son's 13. I've been sober for 11 years. So I was still drinking when he was born. But consciously, he has only known me sober. I've learned a lot. You know, the thing about parent- parenting is they're with you so often that, you know, it's like, it's easy for me to show up and shoot the shit and be a great guy for an hour with you. When you parent or when you're a boyfriend or when you're uh, working with your best friend, it's like you're immersed in all your character defects, all your bad habits, all your trauma, everything comes out and you have opportunities to really practice what you preach in those immersions. So like I get to practice patience with my best friend and my son and my mom, who I see often, because I see them often, I get to practice integrity when I come onto the the stage and I say big, lofty things, and then I go back to my life and I'm challenged, and I get those opportunities to like, if I'm dating somebody, like, yeah, are you going to be a nice guy? Are you going to be kind of a dick? You know, and sometimes I'm a dick, and I have to confront that, like, oh my gosh, this is not the person who I want to be. What do we do about that? Uh, that's a real problem. But yeah. Getting to be a parent is I didn't realize how much I would get from it when I first found out I was going to be a dad. I was not exactly thrilled about it originally. But and he has saved my life in multiple ways in one. Not not just in like, oh, I shouldn't kill myself because I'm a dad, which has happened, but also in the like learning how to be the parent I wish I had has really made me stretch and grow to be more loving more kind more patient more together you know my house is cleaner and more organized
0: because I'm a dad than if I was a bachelor mm-hmm. yeah in some ways I'm very drawn to all the different uh, tools modalities different intellectual concepts I can use to better myself as a human and like life is always right in front of us whether it's our spouse or coworkers or children, parents, those are usually the best ways to actually practice all of these learnings instead of uh, a lot of my life. I've been searching for the modality like internal family systems, for example, has been something that at one point I thought, yeah, that's the savior. Like that's going to that's going to make me the most complete human being possible. And what I'm what I'm hearing in your response is whether it's a business partner or spouse, friend, these are, these are really the relationships where you bring your whole self and that being a human could be messy. And it's not about the, uh, the modality or, or the thing that you learned. So yeah, a lot, a lot of the questions I'm asking you are kind of, I, c- I can see my tendency to gravitate towards what's the, the big lesson to be learned when it's really just how can I be the best human possible in the relationships that are right around me? But anyway, I wanted to read you. I have lots of quotes from you written down here. I wanted to read one to you and see how it lands with you and just hear you elaborate on what you mean by it. One of your episodes you did, you said, I want to build a world where a flat earther and a cosmologist could somehow share an emotional cup of tea. And (laughs) I love that. And I would love to hear you speak a little bit about what exactly what do you mean when you say that (laughs)
1: oh man what a great quote do you have that typed up somewhere you got to send that to me
0: (laughs) i'll send it to you
1: (laughs) i can't believe i said that i love it I now i get why i said it well i don't know so my show is we have been rigorous in not talking politics we have never jumped on it you know we didn't jump on it during the 2016 election, when it was hot, when everybody was on it, we never have. I've had brilliant political minds. I've had Frank Richon, who's one of the most brilliant political commentators in the world. And we didn't talk politics. We talked about his time working in Broadway and being the the head critic for for Broadway theater. And the reason why is because I think like we're so much more connected at a base level, like. What do we all want? We all want to belong. We all want to have purpose. We all want a community. We all want to matter right like everybody nobody wants to hear like, "Yeah, you're just a useless eater, and nothing that you do matters. We want our kids to to do slightly better than we did. We want our kids to not have the same traumas that we had. We want our you know we want our employers to treat us with respect and dignity and we don't want to feel like we're wasting our time, so that's what we have in common, and the the politics of it, the policies, you know the political policies, the way to solve problems, like generally they're all trying to solve something there, and I really believe that almost all people are working in the direction that they think is best. we just disagree on what's best, mm-hmm. and with that said, you know like there's no reason why a flat earther and a cosmologist couldn't have an amazing conversation about i don't know custom made tuxedos mm-hmm. you know there's so many experiences that they could share together you know about the hardships of raising a teenager about the you know how much they don't understand tiktok or about <laughs> like there's just millions of things that they would have in common it's so funny that we like right away we'll we'll try to suss out like what what we don't have in common and then go from there where like, I, some of the people who I love dearest, if we started talking politics, like we would be at each other's throats. Mm. And if we, you know, so, uh, but that doesn't stop me from admiring their zone of genius and their, their brilliance in other areas and their, whatever it is that originally attracted me to them. So I just try to, and there are some things that are unavoidable, you know, like if uh, somebody was seriously, you know, encouraging violence, like I can't, I can't do that. I don't, I don't care what side you're on. I'm, I'm, I'm generally for the, almost always for the nonviolent option. And yeah, so there are, there are my, my limits to that, but in general, I try to take I try to ha- cast the biggest net I can when when building community mm-hmm.
0: i I share the same belief about humanity that at our core, even uh, ostensibly we might have a, a lot of outward differences we We have the same baseline needs, and I would love to be part of a world where we're able to see each other's humanity regardless of how much, like you said, within a certain amount of reason i, I I'm not super interested in tapping into Putin's humanity necessarily, but I <laughs> I would love for someone who ideologically is not on the same plane as me for me to be able to meet them at a level human to human where we're able to connect because I think we all do share those same things in common. We know what it is to struggle. We, we know what it is to be in an argument with our family member. We know what it is to have a really shitty day and to not not have the right chemistry at work so in a world where that's all possible then yeah i think that it's not so scorched earth anymore where we think climate change is going to end us and uh, politically this this side's over here the other side's over here but anyway sam i know that we're running a little bit low on time remaining and i just had a, a few more questions for you I know that you do a lot of research in preparation for your interviews, and and part of that research is maybe reading books and listening to other appearances your guests have made. Have any books that you've read, and it doesn't have to be in prep for a podcast conversation, but any books that come to mind for you that have been most foundational for you? So many. So many books have touched my lives. Again,
1: it's not the The book itself, which is the magic, it's the experience that maybe the book can facilitate because you can read a lot of books and have a lot of stuff in your head. And if you're not doing things, it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There's a book I read with my book club, which I do through Patreon, like people who support my podcast can join my book club called The Road Less Traveled. It's an interesting book because the author struggled with nearly everything he wrote about. Mm. So. You know, the first session, one of the members goes, this guy's a hypocrite. His daughter didn't even come to his funeral. Da da, 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 da. And then we just read it anyway. Fantastic book. Right. Which is some of the one of the great frustrations of some of my uh, male role models that I look up to dearly is that they had beautiful ideals that they could not quite live up to. But The Road Less Traveled is a great book. Nearly all of my guests books are really good. That's generally why I wanted them to be a guest in the first place. And, you know, there's, there's a reason why it was easy to read and prep. And that, you know, I think that is one way to really separate yourself out from other podcasts is most hosts, if they do a weekly or, you know, a frequent show, they just don't have time to read the material. So one of the ways that you can stand out is to become a master of the person you're about to interview. and. You know, I've I've heard several times like that's the greatest in- interview I've ever had. That's the most intimate, best interview I've ever had. And that's not because I'm God's gift to interviewing. It's because I actually became a scholar of this person's work. And so I could finish sentences for them almost. Yeah, I really like The Road Less Traveled as just like a general book. We recently read a book called The Drama, of The Gifted Child, which is incredible, frustrating. I could only read about 10 pages before I started crying and then would have mm-hmm. to start over it's a short book yeah I, I should just make a book list there's there's probably about a hundred books which I think are mandatory mm, wow yeah Man's Search for Meaning Viktor Frankl that's obviously a good one I'm sure <laughs> you know you like that book since it's the namesake of this show
0: <laughs> I've never heard of it <laughs> yeah okay yeah and is there anything else I, I jumped in there but
1: I mean it's hard to
0: pick some and not say the others
1: yeah, there's, there's a bunch over there that I love. I love The Alchemist, which I recently read with my son. Uh, but a mandatory read for all men is Iron John by Robert Bly.
0: Mm. The last guest I had on is a friend of mine, and she recommended that book. So it's the, the universe is clearly throwing Iron John my way. What is an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? I like
1: making my morning tea. That brings me a lot of joy. I love going to the gym. I really love the feeling of leaving the gym. Mm. And another moment that picking up my son from school brings me joy. So many. My life has really become full of joy. Mm. It used to be full of pleasure, and now it's become full of joy.
0: Mm. That is beautiful. What is something that folks would be surprised to learn about you?
1: I am horrifically shy hmm so if i go to a bar i just clam up i am such a shy person people don't know it now because i can now schmooze a bar you know i can now like i can now go into a party and kind of you know be light on my feet and be a social
0: butterfly but people have no idea that deep down i really am still just terrified Mm. that resonates with me my friend Well, is there anything that we haven't spoken about in this conversation that you would like to invite in before I ask my final couple of questions?
1: No, let's get to it. Let's hear the final question.
0: Well, the the first one is just where would you invite folks to? We've already spoken about the podcast, but where would you invite folks to connect with you online or otherwise?
1: Our website is hellohumans.co. Podcast is called How to Human. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Instagram at Sam Lamont. However, you know it's not the best way to connect with me, but it, I do post little things that I'm up to there once in a while.
0: And you did want to raise awareness for Human Made, uh, if you wanted to speak at all to Human Made.
1: Yes, Human Made is a nonprofit in San Francisco. Those bastards copied me. The owner of it called me and said, "I'm so sorry, but we're we're gonna call it Human Made." And I. I cursed him out, and it's a really cool business. It's a makerspace. They do manufacturing and development. They teach manufacturing skills to people who have struggled in life and could maybe use some new career skills. And mm-hmm. a cool company.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for raising awareness for it. It's a funny coincidence with the name. I I did think it was connected. It is not a
1: coincidence. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's not a coincidence. Uh, yeah, Ryan the. The person who founded that nonprofit, he literally called me. And he's like, "Sorry, man, I need to steal human. Oh, We're calling oh, it human it. made." Yeah, okay.
0: misunderstood. Okay. Well, the the final question that I ask all my guests, Sam. The podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning, and I would love to know, in your words, what does it mean to live a meaningful life?
1: I think the simplest answer to what it means to live a meaningful life is one where. When you eventually have to confront your own death, you feel that you used your time wisely and you used your time well. And that probably means making more time to love the people around you.
0: Well, Sam, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on my uh, humble podcast. I really look up to the work that you do. And I I know I've mentioned this in the interview, but the way that you prepare for an interview is something I really emulate. I, I love to be immersed in other people's worlds and to learn from them. And I have learned a lot from observing you from afar. And in a way, you and all your guests have been mentors from afar. And so I really appreciate just the, the way that you are, the work that you do, the way that you model what it is to be human in. A world where it feels like there is—we're uh, constantly being sold what the right way is or the best <laughs> way—and in you're saying, it's—it's it's messy, it's hard, and I'm here along with you, and I—it's a privilege to be on the journey with you. So I—I I really appreciate you taking the time to—to to be here and to share your gifts with my audience.
1: I'm honored. Mike, thank you for taking the time to prep for this interview. And don't be a stranger, you know, keep me posted with what you're up to.
0: Sounds good. And to all the listeners, I hope that whenever you are listening, you have a great rest of your day, evening, whenever you are listening, take good care. Lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's search for meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well and keep living with purpose. Peace. Let's go.